1: The argument for more diversity among filmmakers, more women, more people of colour and so on, is that it will lead to a wider range of stories on screen. And British Ghanaian writer-director Amara Sante is certainly proof that it can. Amara seems drawn to unlikely fish-out-of-water stories, the mixed-race Belle in a Jane Austen world, the white typist from Croydon who became an African queen in a United Kingdom but where hands touch may be the most surprising.
0: We have a new girl joining us today. Her name is Lena Schlegel. It's a good
1: German name, but your face is so un Schlegel is my mother's name. It tells the story of a black German girl who fell in love with a Nazi at the height of World War II. Amara Sante, welcome to the programme. Hi, Thank you. I think that last sentence might need a bit of unpicking. There were black German girls in 1944.
2: Yeah, there were. There were um, biracial teens whose fathers were French African soldiers, and they were placed in Germany as part of the German occupation after Germany lost World War One, and so... Consequently, they mixed with German women, you know, they had relationships with them and children were born of those relationships.
1: The point that you make in the film, uh, of course, is that it was just the one. But at the end, you hit us with the bombshell that there were thousands of them. There were tens of thousands of biracial women in Germany at that stage.
2: Biracial men and women, yeah, boys and girls. Mm. Um, it was a, a consequence of colonialization. And what colonialization did was mean that there were more people of color in uh, European countries than we're often told or we often hear the histories of.
1: Also, I mentioned the fact that she falls in love with a Nazi, which seems a bit weird, but it's not that weird, particularly in 1944, where virtually every German kid had to join the party, in a sense, didn't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, it sounds weird when I hear you say it, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> because, you know, from my point of view, you know, what the story is about is two teenagers who are both coming to terms with what it means to belong to their country in different ways. For one, it means rejection. She belongs to a country that doesn't want her. And for the other one, it's discovering that, you know, this white Hitler youth boy, which was mandatory in uh, Germany in 1944... Uh, If you were what Hitler would call an Aryan, it was mandatory for you to be in the Hitler youth, regardless of your politics. You know, he's coming to terms with what it means to belong to his country, knowing that it's eating its own tail, it's killing its own citizens, and working out how his moral compass is, is going to come to terms with that, and it's a devastating consequence for both of them, because... This is not a world that they want to belong
1: to, you know? The whole thing about World War II is that it never fails to surprise us. There's another untold story and one that most of us, I'm sure, never suspected. Is that the sort of thing that attracts you as a filmmaker to go to unknown areas in some respects?
2: I think so, yeah. I I think I'm fascinated by stories of who we have been as a humanity because I think it it kind of sheds a little bit of light on how we got to where we are today. I'm very aware that, you know, history has only partially been told so far. That's a bad thing in terms of education, but it's an interesting thing for me because it means there's a lot for me to mine. You know, a lot of the stories that I find stem from photographs or paintings. So this story, for instance, came from a photograph of a girl that was probably about 14 or 15 years old, biracial standing amongst other schoolgirls in 1943 Berlin and I, I was just I just wanted to know what her story might be.
1: I think the biggest surprise for people who are used to seeing World War II movies is the fact that she was allowed to be there, you know, at that late in the war. I would have thought that she does finally get arrested, but I'm astonished that she lasted as long as she did.
2: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is when I came to the story, um, these children, these biracial children, were known pejoratively as Hitler's, Hitler's bastards, you know, Hitler's problem or Rhineland bastards, I should say. And the reason why they were a problem, of course, was because they were the children of German Aryan women. And this did provide a conundrum for Hitler because these women were often the sisters of Nazi soldiers, the daughters of Nazi soldiers, the cousins. And so what was really fascinating to me is that they did not suffer the same consequences as Jews. And yet when I came to their story, my assumptions and everything I projected onto them was that, oh my goodness, if we know what was happening to the Jews and we know what was happening to people of, you know, black people elsewhere in the world at the time, just the context we are three years away from apartheid being enshrined into the laws of South Africa... And in America, lynchings are still happening. You know, black people are still being lynched in America. And so knowing that and knowing what was happening to the Jews, my immediate assumption was this must have been a devastating end for all black in Germany. And, of course, what I learned was that was not the case. And um, what it really underlined for me is if we didn't know already, but really brought it into an even sharper focus, um, the Jews were so much the target of Hitler that even blacks who were being persecuted in elsewhere in the world had a greater chance of living in Nazi Germany than Jewish people did. That was to do with their numbers as well, you know. There were a lot of black people in Germany, but not enough to be a threat. And they were young, except they could procreate. They could make babies, and that was a problem. It wasn't that I had not known I was different. I have favors for you. Wherever you go, they will protect you. As I reached 16, I realized Hitler had a plan for us. That was what really struck me as I did the research and I met black survivors of the Holocaust in Germany was this tightrope they walked. They weren't Jewish and they weren't Aryan. That meant they didn't know whether they were going to be okay that day or whether they weren't in the sense that they could be. They really, really could survive the war. But if they met the wrong SS officer on the wrong day... He could do what he wanted with them.
1: We're in danger of making this sound a very grim, cause-based film, which it... Is, but it's not. You know, I mean, the fact is that you're talking about right. you're talking about two young people. Let's talk a little bit about Lena and Lutz.
2: Well, Lena is just about to turn sixteen as we come into the story, uh, and it's 1944, so it's the final year of the war. But of course, the Germans don't know that. She's this young girl who's growing up in a world where she's been born in the countryside in a relatively idyllic. Based where um, who she is hasn't been a problem until very recently when suddenly Hitler and the Gestapo have decreed that all biracial children should be sterilized without anesthetic and her mother's trying to protect her from that. But Lena at the same time is this young girl who's coming of age and going through all the experiences that we all went through. She wants to test all of the boundaries. She wants to know what love feels like. She wants to go through the process of becoming an adult and experience all the joys of being a teenager, except the terrible thing is that she's existing in a world that's gone crazy, you know, against this terrible backdrop.
1: And then she meets Lutz, who's played rather nicely by uh, George Mackay, who who I remember in uh, Captain Fantastic. He plays a very similar character, doesn't he? A very earnest sort of person who wants to be a good German, and he wants to be a soldier, and he wants to fight for Germany. And then he gets the job and realises how much he hates
2: that. yeah i mean i think the key thing about that he swallowed wholesale the story that hitler told much of germany which is this is about losing our honor during world war one having france come and occupy us how dare they and he swallowed this idea that he genuinely is going to fight for his country and bring that honor back and of course what he starts to learn is that mostly what his country is doing is is once again killing its own citizens. These citizens are, are Jewish. And these men and women who and children who are disappearing are not disappearing to work camps but actually are being worked to death and sometimes going straight to death in chambers. And, and he has to come to terms with, you know, his... Uh, experience is a kind of echo of Lena's. What what happens when you're going from boy to man against the backdrop of war?
1: I would have thought that a story as unfamiliar as this, armour would have people would have been biting your hand off to try and get this film made. But apparently, it was pretty hard to get it up.
2: It was. I, it was. I think that when you're putting a character at the centre of a world. Uh, where we haven't seen her before. You know, there's an unfamiliarity with that. And in the film world, when things are unfamiliar, there's often a reluctance to finance. But at the same time, I was also doing something uh, which was unusual in the sense that I was putting someone who was also unfamiliar... Amanda Stenberg is absolutely fabulous and, and, you know, many people will know her from the first Hunger Games and the young girl who dies at the end of the the Hunger Games. The little kid, that's right. She's gone on to do brilliant, brilliant work since and she plays this complex, incredible young woman who is discovering things in life for the first time and has to have that innocence. You know, she's placed at the centre of this story and at the same time, I'm British and I'm also black and I'm also female and... We often haven't had the opportunity to tell stories of World War II as blacks female filmmakers, and so, you know, both Amanda was unusual at the centre of this story and I'm unusual as the person behind the camera and the <laughs> storyteller. So it took some persuading, I must say, it took some persuading of, of finances,
1: but we got there in the end. You've found some extraordinary stories from some extraordinary places. They're untold stories, and and I think the beauty of them
2: is that they give black female cinema goers you know they shine a light on those women to say look you you did exist too you know back in history you you were there too but but the additional beauty is that all audiences can identify with them And I know that when I did Belle, for instance, there was this feeling that this was a a woman's story, a chick flick, so to speak. You know, Mm. these are stories that women take other women to go and see. And if men go to see these movies, it's because some woman has dragged them to see the movie. (laughs) But actually, Belle did really well amongst male audiences, too. And I think that's the key thing, that once we accept that history belongs to all of us, And the really fascinating thing about history is how it touches all kinds of people in the most unlikely ways. We really come to see that history belongs to all of us.
1: I know that recently the movie industry has started patting itself on the back a little bit about being more inclusive and diverse. I mean, is that your experience at the moment? I mean, things are
2: changing very, very slowly. It feels like we're rounding a giant corner we're a little way round that corner and we can't really see how far we've got to go yet. But we're definitely on our way to something. And I always feel like history will judge how well we're doing at this time because just the nature of films in general, they take a lot of money to finance. They take a long time often to to get off the ground. And so, you know, I feel like it's going to be a few years before we can really look back at this period and judge it and say, look, how much further forward did we get? Uh, It's hard to tell at the
1: moment. Personally, Amma, do you feel pressure on you to make certain sorts of films to reflect what's going on now or are you allowed to pursue your history-based ideas? I think that's such a great question because you're
2: right, there's, there's a great amount of pressure. There is a huge expectation on the kind of movies you should make when you come from a kind of underrepresented group in the way that I do. I genuinely see myself as an artist. And I genuinely appreciate the work and I'm inspired by other artists. And so I fight really hard not to collapse under the pressure of of those expectations and actually to be allowed to make the kind of films and tell the kind of stories that I want to tell as opposed to those that are expected of me. I really Don't feel that art comes to order. Art has to come, you know, genuinely from what moves the artist. And I think when the artist is moved, they have a greater chance of um, engaging their audience and moving their audience as well. So I push really hard for that. But my dream is, you know, to have the kind of career that somebody like Steven Spielberg has. You know, he tells the stories of men who seemingly appear very similar him And he can tell stories like The Color Purple that are about a black female experience. Mm. And, and he tells them with equal finesse and equal power. I'm grateful to filmmakers like him because he proved to audiences that, 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 that the black female experience shouldn't and isn't an alien one. And because of him, you know. Movies like Bell can be made, so I'd love to have that kind of career whereby I can tell all kinds of stories about all kinds of things and not be boxed in to other people's expectations.
1: I understand that you have a potential project on the go right now, Emma, which, is, which couldn't be more different, in a sense, from the ones that you've just made.
2: Yeah, in a way, yeah, Billion Dollar um an adaptation of a book, of the same name by Pulitzer Prize winning author David E. Hoffman. Just a wonderful, wonderful book. And it's uh, set during the Cold War in Russia and tells the story of an engineer turned spy against his own people, his the, you know the, his own government, I should say, for the, the CIA. And yeah, on the surface, it's really different. You know, it's the story of the CIA agent who's running him and the spy himself, two white guys. Um, <laughs> but actually, when you dig deep, you realise... It's actually or, or had much, much reason to attract me and, and to become an amorous anti-film, if you like, because, it's, you know, it's once again a very intimate story. It's, it's, it's the, the kind of brotherhood relationship of these two men, but against the political backdrop of, of the time. And it's once again a story of what happens when you love your country, but you don't agree with or love the government that are running it. Uh, it has similarities in a way.
1: That's writer-director Amara Sante, whose new film, Where Hands Touch, opens this week around the country. And if you're interested in seeing Nazi Germany from the point of view of a black teenage German girl, I think you'll love it as much as I did.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.